0: continuing in James this morning and you know one of the one of the things that happens to me on Mother's Day is that I step back and say well should we do a special Mother's Day sermon and we've done that sometimes in the past but but as I considered the text this morning I thought there's no other message I'd rather bring than the truth that James is after this morning both for mothers and for all of us and the reason is this the reason is this idea of gospel I don't know. I was really excited. It was probably I don't know six, seven, eight years ago now when people started using gospel a lot, and I got really excited because the gospel is everything. And people started saying things like gospel-centered this and gospel-powered that, and 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 I, I was excited, but over time became less excited because it was just lost its meaning. These words lose their meaning as people use them in ways that don't actually connect to the gospel. A couple of years ago, I went. Actually, it's a couple years ago now. Getting old, uh, I went to a, an actual little conference on parenting, and it was called Gospel-Powered Parenting. But it just as well could have been called Wisdom-Based Parenting, or I don't know, Experience-Based Nuggets, or something. There's actually no actual connection to the gospel. And into this problem that we have, where gospel is so important but we're losing the power of it, we in steps James. That's the letter we're in. And James has something very important to say about how the gospel actually impacts you and me, whether you're a mom or a dad or a kid or whatever you are. And and, and we started to see this last week when, when we saw James go after how the gospel produces in us humility, the mark of the Christian, humility. And the gospel does that to us because of the great good news of Jesus and the law of liberty that kills us. And we got to see how what that does, it just crushes us, but we continue to have our hope in Jesus, and, and that changes our, our viewpoint And this morning, James continues in that, which is why I've called this Out of the Box, because for so many of us, we've been in a box for so long about how to live, about the rules and regulations, about just what it means to live. And and I feel like the gospel, and James gets the gospel, opens the box. And you start to actually look and see. You start to see the sky and the sun and the breeze, and it's amazing, and, and, and I invite you into that today. It's practically impacting as it begins to play out, I believe, the gospel changes your life, and we're going to look at it today in James chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, we'll be looking at James chapter 2, the first half of it, and it's, to me, life-altering. So here we go. This is the first thing I'd like you to see is how how the the gospel, the good news of Jesus, gives you new eyes to see. We see differently because of our faith in Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, writes James, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Okay, I just want to stop right there and say it's, it's, it's not something that we would disagree with. He says, hey, um, my brothers and sisters, so he's talking to people who know Jesus, who get this gospel, have accepted Jesus Christ, have faith in him. And he says, as you um, hold that faith, Don't show partiality. Partiality is maybe a word you don't use very often, but you could just say it literally means don't show the face to certain people, so it's don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism as you hold to trusting Jesus. He's the Lord of glory. That's somehow connected, and that sounds pretty simple and like something I can agree with, right? I get it. Favoritism's bad, and favoritism's always, I, we don't like favoritism. And especially given the example that he uses, look at the example that James gives us. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, you sit here in a good place. Well you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's not fair. Okay. Hey, don't value people over how much money they have. And, and, and I get that, right? We get that at our church. People come in, and it doesn't matter if you wear shorts or if you wear a tie. It doesn't matter. Hey, We don't treat people differently, and that's kind of a real basic thing, right? It's our society. You don't even have to be a Christian really to get that. We say, hey, favoritism's not good, and, and look, this, this judging people on how they dress or how much money they have, that's not a good thing, and, and, and we get that. Think. Doesn't seem like it's life-changing, Dax. Well, wait a minute. It's actually a little deeper than that. Think with me for a minute about James and who he is. James is a Jew. The Hebrew mindset was one of honor. And honor, right, was to be the head. The head was the head of the family, and the family's an extended family. They were the person who controlled the resources. They were the person who controlled everything so that everyone under them got blessed, got what they needed. The, the, The wealthy person took care of the rest of the family. They were the head person. Wealth was a sign of God's favor to the Jew. Right? So uh, it, that's one scholar. I mean, think about it just with me for a minute. When you actually have in the Old Testament and you have Abraham, he was wealthy. Isaac, wealthy. Jacob, wealthy. Joseph, oh, he was a slave, but he rose to be the second wealthiest, most powerful man in all of Egypt. You, you get thing, people like Solomon, wealthiest man in the world. God did that. So yet one scholar says it this way, God enabled men such as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Solomon to achieve wealth, and this wealth was considered a clear sign of divine favor. Do you see that? Wealth was a sign of favor because of the means it provided for good. If God gave you wealth, then you could use it to help people. You could help people who were in need. You could provide for your family. You could have people over for entertainment. You could do all sorts of things when you had the resources. Blessing from God. Even in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses tells the people there, he says, not to think that their own power and the might of their hand won wealth for them, but to remember that the Lord was the one who gives the power to get wealth. I hope you see, if the the Lord is thinking, the Lord enables the power for wealth, then if the Lord has given that to you, you're favored. So bring in the, the, the favored one, not the favored by me, the favored of the Lord. Sit them down, this favorite of the Lord, because they can do great things. God is with them. This is the way of thinking our society. Actually, I mean, if you think about it, our society is not so much different, is it? Really? I mean, I haven't said anything about the rich person or the poor person, nothing about their hearts. It's just me and my thinking about them as you start saying. Imagine if the multimillionaire comes in, just think of what he can do for you. Your ministry. The influence for the kingdom. As I perceive that, and people do, they have ministries that go after high achievers. Those, man, what we need is the NBA star. Right? As opposed to the poor person. What do they have to give? They got nothing. So stand over there. And you know what? Honestly, the rich person who's coming forward, they will bless you. As the church gets blessed, you'll get blessed too. Don't worry. Logical sense, in our minds, the poor person will be helped by the rich person, the rich person gives to the structure, and and, and there's a problem, right? It's not with the rich or the poor per se. It's with me, the person who's looking and making distinctions along those lines. That's what James says, right? He actually gets strong. He says, we've become judges with evil thoughts. We don't see rightly. We look at the obvious and we miss the reality. James says, you see differently now is that true i mean listen he says in verse 5 my beloved brothers has not god chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him but you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich the ones who oppress you are the ones who drag you into court are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called Okay, it's easy to see in this, oh, you know, what he's saying is rich people are bad. No, he's not. Not saying it's a dog-eat-dog world out there to get rich. No, he's not saying that. He's not even saying the poor man is good and the rich man is evil. He's not saying that. that that's not what he's saying. He's saying your eyes should be different. New eyesight. It's not on wealth because wealth is not The mark of God's favor anymore hey the rich people there's some of them right who who don't treat you well it's not about God's favor they're not they're dragging you into court there is something that matters and it's not that the rich have God's favor and the poor have God's curse it's something else look look are not it's in verse 5 actually look at it listen brothers and sisters listen has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to what be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God. Guess what, guys? That's what matters, right? Well, that's what matters. This is why Christianity is so different. The ground for our distinction is one, are you in the kingdom? How do I get in the kingdom? Trusting Jesus. So, so the, the distinction that we make, and we make a distinction, it's whether or not you have faith Whether or not you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's a distinction to make, right? Oftentimes it's the poor who do that, says James. That's fine. But James says we should show no partiality as we hold the faith. It is faith in the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. All of the glory is Jesus. If anything's happening in your life, Jesus is doing it. And guess what? Many people who are poor have the gospel. Therefore, they have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Jesus Christ is working in Us. So if it's all about Jesus working in you, why are we making distinctions in other ways? Maybe you're with me and you say, okay, Dax, I get it. I get it. You know, money corrupts. Lots of money corrupts a lot. By the way, give me some. But 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 really that's I just want you to see that's his example. It's not his point. The example is the poor and the rich. That's not his point. His point is no partiality. Right? We make no distinction on things that aren't simply trusting Christ. That means we make no distinction on power, on charisma, how many kids you have or don't have, how much church service you do or don't do, on motherhood. I love my mom, but that's not what we distinguish on, right? Not even that. I mean, to make distinctions not based on faith but based on something else is like. I think what's like. Okay, it's like this. Everybody has big feet. Who has size fourteen or above? Come sit in the front row. We—that's a mark of favor. God is going to really use you because you have big feet. We laugh. That's ridiculous. What does God say? What does that have to do with God using you? But honestly, that—that—that's everything, right? What is the amount of money you have? Whether God's going to use you or not? What What is the amount of kids you have? All of these things that we make distinction on that God says the only thing that matters is Jesus. That's all that matters. This is the logical outflow of the gospel. You see it, right? You see that once you say that the only hope that I have is my faith in Jesus, that you realize that nothing else matters, this starts to impact how you see other people. It's not like some big spiritual, oh, spiritual moment. Ah, epiphany. It's just logically true. James is just laying it out there for you and for me. But once you get it, once you have it in your head, it's like you can't unlearn it. Let me give it to you. (laughs) So what if I tell you, I say, okay, hey, what I want you to do, I want everyone here to speak fluently and without stopping for one minute, not just repeating a phrase, but just going for one minute and never use the letter A. Go ahead. If you know, you know. If you don't know, you sit there and laugh at me. Or you might try. I would quote my favorite poem. It little profits that an idle king by this still hearth. But, uh-oh. There's an A. Hearth. I messed up. How do you do that? Start to think of things. But once you know the answer, it's super easy. You just know it just is. Here it is. Start counting. Go ahead. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. You can go all the way to a hundred. You don't get the first A to hundred and one. That's because of the and. So if you just drop the and, you go hundred one, hundred two. That's fine. And one is the first a. Also, you can do. You can count for a good. I did. I tried. It was looked to be two minutes, but I don't speak that fast. But but you can go. And now that you know, you'll always know. Now someone comes and asks you, Hey, talk for a minute about using a. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I got it. See, once you get the gospel and you start to get, no, no, the only hope is Jesus. The only hope I have, and it's, it gets in my heart, I start to see differently. And I just do, because it's the reality. It's not something I need to spiritually get to. It's the truth. It's like that. So we look around us, and we really can start seeing with eyes that value trusting Jesus. That's what we value. We marvel at those among us. Really, we marvel. I marvel at so many of you who are sick physically struggling or have had events in your life that are hurting and hard. Poverty is one of them. Illness is another. And you hold fast to Jesus. You are such a good example to me that you're not knocked off by this world, that you continue to hold the thing that really values, the only value there is who's Jesus. And you, you hold fast and I realize, yeah, that's where it's at. New eyes, rich in faith. But I tell you what, as we look with these new eyes, they don't just give me a new perspective on what's valuable. That's not the end. We're not done with James this morning. They do that. But James also shows us his perspective that we get to have drives us back to the cross. This is really important for you and me. Even our new eyes, even the ways we see different, the gospel actually keeps us, keeps us what? Standing on the rock. We have the same rock to stand on. We don't move from it. We don't go on to bigger and better things or different things. We, we, we get pushed back by this perspective to stand on our rock, who is Jesus. Let us let's let me look and show you. Because in verse 8, he says this. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Okay. He's not done. James has continued. This is one flow. He didn't start something new. This is the same thing. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you still love your neighbor yourself. That's the royal law according to Scripture? Is it? Yeah, it is. Isn't this what Jesus affirmed? is what he talked about in the Gospels? And came to him and says, hey, what, what do you need to do? He says, I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart. I need to love my neighbor. Well, if you love your neighbor as yourself, that's a very good thing. And James says, hey, that's a very good thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we read that, and what I think is, oh, yeah, okay, good. I want to do well. I'm going to do this. But you're, you're missing his tone. He didn't have to put that third word in there. If you do this, you're blessed. No, if you really, what does he say? He needs to say it like this. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love them yourself. You're doing well, i.e., I don't think you're doing this. If you think you are, yeah, you're doing well. If you really do this, the question is are you really doing this? I see why it, hey, hey, the gospel backs this up to love your neighbors yourself. Why does the gospel back this up? It's not because everyone is so lovable. Oh, I just see everyone and they're just shining lights of wonder. No, no. It's not that we just get better and better. No, but it's, it's, we're valued, not in our lovability, but in the love of Jesus for me, who also loves you. And as you have faith in Christ, man, I know Jesus adores you. I can love you like myself because of Christ. But, but James knows as soon as you start to go there, if I act on that truth, I'm doing well. As soon as I think, am I doing well? What gets into my heart, what gets into my soul begins this comparing ladder thing again it just does there's something in us that begins that same old crud about comparing and judging and not not about trusting jesus but about how i'm doing me compared to you so how are you doing i mean take a second love your neighbors yourself christian that's what James is asking. Are you loving your neighbors yourself? And, and I think the best you could probably say is, 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 hey, I'm trying to. I see how good it is, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to love my neighbors myself. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to love everybody. I'm trying. I'm, try, I'm trying. Wait a minute before you totally go there and just, just think with me about partiality. That's where James has just spoken. Partiality. Right? Do, do you really make no distinctions except on faith? Really, that's a real question for you. Is it, is it true that, that all you care about is faith? So do you love your Christian brother? I'm going to pick one at random in the room right here. Just as much as you love your own earthly brother. Now for some of you, you're like, yeah, more because I hate my earthly brother. <laughs> Bad example, Dax. Your kid, your blood relative, someone who's that close to you. Somebody you adore. And, and then there's somebody who you kind of know in Christ, but, but, but the more you know them, the more you think they're irritating. But I love them more. The same. Do, do, are there people in your life really who, who you might avoid? Christians. Brothers and sisters, right? Because there's just something about them that you, you, don't, you don't like. They talk too much. All they do is talk about themselves. I don't really want to be around that person. I want to be around this person over here. Don't you see that we do that a lot? We have some people we like more than other people, right? We interact with them more. I I like people around me who are fun, and they share my interests in hot air ballooning. That's a lie. I don't like hot air ballooning. But if I did and I had people, I'd like to be with those people and those other people over there who don't do the hot air balloon thing. Well, that's fine. They can be over there. I, I don't dislike them. I just really like these people over here. I hang out with my group, and I like them. What's that called? It's, it's, called, um, it's called sorting people or being around people according to your preferences. Also known as partiality. We do it naturally. There are people in this room who annoy you. If, if they don't annoy you, then you don't know them well enough. And probably one of them is me. It's okay, I'll stop talking soon. But, but, but this idea, right, that there are people and, and then there are people who we really like and, and we, we naturally do partiality. We naturally do a little bit of favoritism. We naturally move towards, it's not, it, because it's not based on faith. That's the thing. James says, here's the, the idea. Faith is all you have. Faith is the connector. Loyalty to Jesus is the thing. Are you in the kingdom? You're rich in faith. But if you're distinction, making distinctions on other things... Length of the hair, how you dress, how you speak, how you smell, huh? you know, whatever you make that list on, those are distinctions that show partiality. I mean, I like people who are moral and upstanding. I like people. I, I have preferences. And, and, and so, and so I, I don't think I'm out of bounds to say there's nobody in this room who doesn't exercise some partiality. I just don't think it's, it's what we do is not do partiality. I mean, my eyes are open now. I see that Jesus is all there is. There's no male or female. There's no Greek or Jew. There's no slave or free. There's just Jesus. But I don't value people as just Jesus. I value him on how I prefer. And, and, and isn't that a, am I straining at gnats? See, Dax, okay, why are you making such a big deal out of this? Everybody does a little bit of it. We're just trying to be good people. We don't we don't do not murder and adultery and stuff. Just a little partiality, who cares? James has something to say to you. James does. Looks what he says. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And, and for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Ouch. I, I hope you see this. James says you only have to miss one tiny piece of the law, and you're guilty of all of it. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. And we'll say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Of course, we could deepen it and say, hey, have you ever, ever been angry at your brother? Have you ever even looked at a, another person with lust or ever ever seen pornography, anything? You'd go there, but we're not going there. Say whatever, but but partiality is really his point. So the point is this. You are guilty. That's what James is saying, right? That's the only logical place you can go. You can't go as so many Christians do to this smug, try harder and be less sinful place, the de facto place that they make distinctions, distinctions among people based on their own personal holiness. What are they doing? That's called partiality. It's not about faith. You don't understand the law. You see this. The law always condemns. You saw that last week, right? Martin Luther, lex semper accusat. Doesn't make it true just because we say it in Latin. But but, but that's was Luther's main point of his whole study of Scripture is that the law is always accusing you and you and you. It's accusing you. It's accusing you. You don't do it. You don't do it like you should. You don't do all of it like you should. And James's point is the same. He comes and says, hey, if you miss even one tiny piece, there is no try. There is only do someone's laughing because i'm quoting star wars i know he got it didn't get the whole gospel don't even go there but this piece right this piece is that it makes the law pushes me as a transgressor gives me no hope in my accomplishment not before or after i'm a christian it continues to say to me look your only hope is in this way over here the way of freedom the way of liberty the way of jesus My hope is in Jesus. It remains in Jesus my whole life long because he's my only hope and he's your only hope too. You have to stand on the rock. You're a transgressor of the law. You are and you and you and you and you and you and me. We are. The law condemns. We cannot, no one in this room is able to hope in how well they do in their Christian walk. If you really did it, you would be fine. But the problem is, you don't. So look, look what he says in verse 12. James writes, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So you're going to be judged. The law law of liberty is going to judge you. What is it going to say? You've got no hope. For judgment is without mercy to the one who's shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, the law of liberty is an amazing thing, James, James' word for the law, the real law, because it condemns you, but it puts you to your knees so that your only hope is in Jesus, Jesus who is your freedom. And so you actually have this, this peace that remains. So why does he say, do you see that? Judgment's out. mercy the ones who show no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The law judges and condemns me. And in the judgment, the law will say, condemned, and Jesus will say, wait a minute, this one's mine. My blood covers him. Mercy. My hope's in mercy. It's it's just because Jesus paid. But our hope is in the Savior. Not in our good doing. Never was. Never was. This is the rock we keep standing on that continues to influence us. We speak and act not as those who judge, but as those who are to be judged. The law will say kill, and Jesus will say, Mercy I paid. Mercy triumphs over judgment because Jesus will not allow the condemnation of the law to stand. This is true of me, and it is true of you if you trust Jesus. It's not true of you just de facto. That's why we make a distinction, you and I, on faith. That's our distinction. Not on law keeping, because I don't care if you keep one percent or ten percent or forty-three and a half percent or eighty-two and seven All of it curses you because none of those numbers are a hundred. That's that's what James is after. This, if you will, is the law of the gospel. Romans chapter eight, verse two says this for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He writes that right after he's, he he said, I hate that I sin, who will save me from this body of sin and death and the law that always accuses and and thanks be to God and Jesus. There's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus because he has set me free. Oh, and he set you free too. It's amazing. This partiality drives us there, drives us to understand, yes. Yes, we ought not. The the, the gospel shows us. And yet, I continue to only have to trust in Jesus because I do, I mess up in this all the time. Let me end with an illustration. Say you own a house. Well, actually, you only own a corner of it because the bank owns the other part. So say you got this corner over here and the rest you send, every month you send in a monthly check and you write a mortgage check and you got 23 years to go and you're paying every month on your mortgage to the bank. One day as you're in the midst of this process, you get a letter in the mail and you open up this letter and it's from, it's a privately owned bank. It's from the head of this bank who gets the bank and he has this letter and it says, I've decided to pay you off your loan myself and I just want you to know you now own your house. Congratulations. Be blessed. I know the first thing I would do. I'd call up the bank. Make sure because that sounds like something I'd be very suspicious of. Whoever acts that way, that's crazy. But say it's real. It's actually real, and I've got it, and I've got this letter, and it's real. Okay, I want you to think about this. How, what, what do you think it would say to the bank owner if after that happened, every month what he got from you was a check in the mail from the mortgage? You opened up, and the bank in the mail came, and, oh, it's a check from Dax again, and he, he said, but it's a check for his mortgage. What does that say to the owner who did that for you? What does it say? I'll tell you what it says. I don't believe you. I don't believe that you actually gave me my house. I don't even really accept the house because I'm sending you money every month. Right? What if you judge yourself on how well you're doing in your monthly payments on the mortgage? How stupid are you? I'm sorry to be so strong. What if, let's take it one step further. What if, what if the neighbor next door to you got the same letter? Their house had been paid off. But what you did was every often, every so often you just went and knocked on the door and says, I need to see your checkbook and see how you're doing on the mortgage payments. Well, I, I got this letter. It just said I own the house. I'm, I stopped paying the mortgage. I don't care. How are you doing? You see how foolish it is. You see how wrong thinking it is, and, 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 and yet this is the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is that Jesus actually paid for you, and he gave you the life that you have, and you have it. And so if you have resources now, and the resources you come, you don't pay off your salvation. What do you do? You got resources. You go bless somebody. You go have your neighbor over. You go find somebody to bless and say, wow, I got this great news. There's this bank owner, and he gave me my house. He might give you your house too. That's called Good news. And we have the ability to go impact people because we've received it and we believe it. And if instead what you do is you flip it and you're going to make distinctions on other things and you're going to put people back under rules and regulations in order that they might be approved by the bank owner, you've missed the gift, which is actually the only way you'll ever own your house. That's it. Okay, it breaks down. But, but I would like you to see that if your eyes are open to the gospel, you realize that trusting in the bank owner is how you live. Not in your payments. You make distinction on whether or not you think it's true. That the letter is true. That's the distinction you need to make. So I ask you for yourself, is it true for you? And I call you to, to trusting the truth today. I believe James is standing here with us, making this case for you. There is no other way. No partiality, of course, and yet we fail, and our failure drives us back to the one who really never, ever showed any partiality. He loved without distinction. He loved while you were unlovely. He loved though the law says you're unlovely still. I trust I have new life in Him. His Holy Spirit is doing much in us. But that's a distinction that is based on faith. Would you make that distinction with me? That's great. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the wonder of it that, that the gospel impacts us, your good news impacts us. Thank you for the wonder that you've done so much for us we can't ever repay. Forgive us, Lord, that we want to rank and sort. Lord, help us to trust you. Help that to be the way we live with ourselves, with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.